0: Pastor Ed Taylor says, if your heart is troubled, turn your attention to your home in heaven.
1: You know, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. He's going to take me. The Bible says that I'm kept by the power of God. There's going to be a place for me in heaven. There's going to be a place for you by faith in Jesus Christ. Even when you doubt, even when you're anxious, even when you don't know what's going on, even when you don't understand, there's Jesus saying, look, there is a place. There's a place for you. There's a dwelling place. If it wasn't that way, I would have told you ahead of time. There's a place for you. There's a place.
0: This is a messing A failing marriage, the loss of a job, a rebellious son or daughter refusing to abide by the rules of the house, sickness, and the loss of a loved one. Throughout life, there are many things that bring us down, but it's at that time we need to look up. In John chapter 14, the disciples are greatly troubled, and it's interesting to see where Jesus directs them, right on up to their future home in heaven. Let's seek to apply these comforting words to our lives by joining Pastor Ed Taylor. We're talking about the remedy for a troubled heart on abounding grace. And that brings us now to John's gospel
1: in a time of great duress, in a time of great anxiety, and a time of great difficulty for the disciples that were following Jesus. And in order to really understand chapter 14, let's go back to chapter 13 and pick up in verse 31 just so we can get a little bit of background to understand the significance of what Jesus says in chapter 14. Because remember, in the original Greek manuscripts, there were no chapter breaks, no verses. This just all read straight through. But because we have chapter breaks and, and we have verses, we sort of take little sections and paragraphs, which is fine, there's no problem with that. But sometimes we miss... The free-flowing work uh, and free-flowing word that God is giving to us of the situation at, the, at hand. Chapter 14 should not be separated from chapter 13, really, in our time. So let's look at it from verse 31. So now when he had gone out, this is John 13, 31. And speaking of Judas, Judas just took the piece of bread and left their presence. He's going to go and betray Jesus. So when he had gone out, remember they're sharing that meal together Uh, This this section of John is the last week of Jesus' life. All the way through chapter 21 now, we're going to look at Jesus' life. And here, they're eating together, and Judas has gone out, and so Jesus says, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Usually when we think of the word glory or glorified, we think of it in really good terms. Oh, the Lord be glorified. Uh, We want to see your glory, and it's in really great terms, but Jesus isn't using it so much in great terms in the immediate here. He will be glorified, but he will be glorified through the beating and crucifixion that will happen just days from now. He will be glorified. He's thinking of the salvation of you and me thinking, man, what is about to happen is going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. God will be glorified. It's time. The betrayer is at hand, and it's time. And Jesus is really preparing them from what's up ahead in the next few days. There'll be no more parties with him, no more fun, no more miracles. They won't have their buddy with them to ask questions, to watch watch him serve people. He's going to be gone. He's going to be gone. And he's not just going to be gone, but they're going to see him viciously beaten, crucified between two criminals that deserve it. And then verse 33, little children. That that word is a a very special word in the Greek. It's it's a very sensitive, the, the tone of the time right now is very sensitive, very encouraging Jesus is very compassionate and parents this is the kind of word when he says little children it's the idea that when you get down on your knees and you take your child they take him by the face there and you just want to speak something special to them you just want to get their attention and tell, tell them how much you love them tell them how much you're proud of them that's what Jesus is doing here it's one of the things that's lost in the scriptures. We don't, have, we don't have the tone of voice. We don't have the facial expressions. But I, I believe that Jesus is, is becoming very tender here, very soft, very encouraging. He says, little children, I'll be with you a little while longer. You'll seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. I mean, we use that verse a lot in relationship to the love of the church, how people are going to know we're believers by our love. It's an otherworldly love. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. But the context of this was the disciples' love is going to be the glue that really keeps them together during the crisis. And through that togetherness and that evident love, the world's going to know that they're his followers when you see me beaten and when you see me crushed and when you see me crucified you guys really need to master love that's what's going to get you through it's true for us today love is the glue that holds a church together love is the glue that holds a family together especially in times of crisis especially then in verse 36 peter speaks up and says to him lord where are you going peter has no idea What Jesus is talking about and as we've seen that more and more it's encouraging to us that there are times when we have no idea what the Lord is doing Peter's simply sharing I believe what's on everybody's heart what do you mean where are you going what are you talking about and he says where are you going and the Lord answers him where I am going you cannot follow me now but you shall follow me afterward and you're like okay Jesus that really answered it thank you All right. And then Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you? What do you mean I can't follow you? I will lay down my life for your sake. What do you mean there's a place I can't follow you? If you're dying, I'm dying with you. And I believe this is sincere. I believe this is a passionate plea on Peter's behalf. I believe he is. And again, the disciples are all in the same place. They just don't understand what is going on. What is happening? I don't We don't know where you're going. We don't know what's happening. We don't know what's up ahead. And Peter, he he says, man, I'm willing to lay my life down for you. I'm going to die. I'm going with you no matter what. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for my sake? Verse 38. Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. You're going to deny me in just a few hours, Peter. And I do think that the facial expression of Jesus changes here. He's so... So loving toward Peter. Because as God, he knows everything is going to happen with Peter. He knows Peter's going to deny him. That's why he told him. He knows that that denial is going to put Peter into a deep, just dark place. A place where he would want to condemn himself. A place where he would feel like he could never come back. A, a place where, well, we know what happened with Judas when he was in a deep, dark place. He took his own life. Jesus understands this about Peter. He understands the emotions he's about to face. But he also wants to put a finger on something in Peter's life that Peter doesn't see yet. He does later. We learn that from his letters, but he doesn't see it now. And Jesus in love, you know, Jesus in appreciation of Peter's loyalty. I mean, if there's anything about Peter that you would be good for you and I to emulate, it's his loyalty and dedication to the Lord. May the Lord give us, as a church... May the kingdom of God grow with thousands of people that are absolutely loyal and dedicated to the Lord. That's the key. There's a deep loyalty here, a deep dedication, a willingness to lay down his life. I believe it. We know, we know he's speaking the truth because just a few days from now, he's the guy that pulls out the sword and says, I'll take on the Roman government to protect my man. I'll, prote- I don't, I'll lose my own life. He wasn't a very good swordsman, but he was in it, man. He was in it. Didn't have, He didn't care. You know, cutting off that ear, and, and he 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 didn't care. He didn't care. He'll do what he has with what he has. He'll do what he can with what he has. Jesus says, "Hey, look, man, Peter, you're a prideful man. I just want you to know that you're a prideful man." And I believe he's still doing that today. Even in a deep crisis, even in a deep difficulty, he'll put a finger on something in our lives. The Holy Spirit will point out something in our lives that we may not want to hear. That we may not want to accept but it's very important for our personal walk can you imagine you're like man jesus you're leaving me and and i'm willing to die for you and and you're telling me i'm going to deny you how could you say that how could you say such harsh words in a time like this but what we're seeing is the unconditional love of, of god understanding the unconditional love of jesus will set you free that no matter how God and what God communicates with you, it will unloose the chains of bondage in your life. It's the biblical doctrine of grace. Because he knows you're going to stumble one day, maybe even today, maybe even just a few moments. He knows you're going to stumble. He knows you're going to sin. And, and by Peter, with Peter's uh, communication here with us, he's telling us, hey, look, I, I know you're going to stumble. I know you're going to fall. But he's not going to pull back from you. He's going to press into you. Jesus gave a parable, didn't he? What shepherd that has a hundred sheep wouldn't go after the one and leave the 99 to someone else? He's given us insight to what that looks like in Peter's life. Which brings us to verse one of chapter 14. Now you understand why Jesus would say in verse one, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. These guys are troubled. They are really going through it. They don't understand troubled hearts is exactly what they had they're upset there's a betrayer at the table a denier he left jesus is leaving us we don't know where he's going but one day we might go we can go but we can't go right now and i mean it's just what is going on i think there are times when we get to the same place different circumstances but the same place where you cry out going i don't understand what's going on why am i here what are you doing god Why won't you explain it to me? Why doesn't this verse make sense? I don't know what to do. I can't take it anymore. Some of you have even said or even thought in your own mind, how much can a godly man take? How much can a godly woman take? You face a situation that just stirs up anxiety. You don't know what the future holds. Just got the slip at work that you lost your job. Layoffs have come. But you survived the layoff. But now you're wondering, well, man, how am I going to do the work of 30 people? I could barely do the work of two people last last week. And now, and and there you are. And you've got a situation that's outside of your control. There's nothing that you can do except hope that the person will be merciful to you. I mean, on and on the list goes. And some of you are like, wow, Ed, I wasn't worrying before I got to church. (laughs) Now you're messing my head up. It's real life. All of us face these things. And the same word to the disciples is the same word to us. Let not your heart be troubled. That's a command. We don't use that phraseology today. Let not your heart be troubled. We would say it today. Don't let your heart be troubled. It's not just, you you may not be able to control the situation. But you can control how you deal with the situation. How much you think on it, how much you mull over it, how much... Because when you do that, what happens? You start to think the worst, and then you think the worst of the worst, and then you think the worst of the worst, and before you know it, man, the situation so far, so exploded in your mind that there's no faith or trust in your heart that God is who he says he is. And it's almost like Jesus is saying in verse 1, trust me, sons, trust me, daughters, trust me, I'm in control. Corey Ten Boom put it this way. He said, "Worry." She said, "Worry does not empty tomorrow of sorrows; it empties today of strength." And we're robbed. I think back to say, "Well, what'd you, what were you worrying about ten years ago?" And unless you kept a journal, you may not even know. But God came through, and you're still here. And God's faithfulness is still shining brightly in your life. Yeah, maybe the pain is still there, and maybe the difficulty. You may, uh, like Jacob limp into heaven. That may be God's call for your life. You're just going to limp into heaven. That limp will always remind you of the wrestling with God. It will always remind you of the situation. But you're standing in the grace of God. And you're here today. And God would teach us not to worry. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, he says in verse 2, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. The whole issue that Jesus is bringing out both at the table, and he's still at the table with them, but now he's trying to do it a different way is, you've got to remember, guys, there's more to this life than this life. Eternity awaits us. Eternity is ahead of us. And he's also answering the question where he's going. He's going to heaven, back to his father. And in heaven, there are many mansions. This is an unfortunate translation It's that way in the New King James and in the Old King James. It's unfortunate. The word here literally means dwelling places. But because it's been translated mansions, we've got all these weird views of heaven. In another place, it talks about the gates of heaven. So people have invented things of heaven, like heaven has the pearly gates, and then you show up there, and Peter's there sharing all his bad jokes about the pearly gates, and he lets you in, and then you turn, you know, if you were really good in life, you make a right, and you go into the Cherry Creek area of heaven, and you've got your mansion over there, and if you weren't very good, you made it into heaven, but you go to the left, and, well, there's a tent over there without a roof for you, you know, that's not heaven at all. He's not building you a house. There's a beautiful picture that Jesus is giving to the disciples that we can't miss. It's not that you're going to inherit some beautiful house. But rather, he's telling them he's going to heaven and there's going to be a place for them. They're going to make it. Everything in their life in the next few days, all of their faith, everything that they believed in will be radically challenged. They will... Wonder, I I think, whether they're even saved or not. They will wonder if it was really worth it following Jesus. They will have all of these thoughts, and Jesus is preparing them. I'm going, I'm coming back, as we'll see in a moment. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it wasn't that way, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Hey, look, you're going to make it. The picture here is that we're all in our Father's house, and in our Father's house, there's a place for each one of us, a place of settled comfort. I I think as a dad, as a dad, I have three kids. And then my boys, they went off to college. They moved away and went off to college. And and in that transition of life, when they were growing up and moving on, hey, I wanted to make sure from a very early age, but also when they move on, hey, you've always got a place in your dad's house. You can always come home. You can always come home. Anything that you face, anything that you might, your mom and dad are here for you, you can always come home. There will always be a place in my house for my kids. Always. 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 It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where, when. There will always be a place. If they're willing to work on whatever the issue is, get their eyes on the Lord, there will always be a place at their dad's house. There will always be a place. They can always come home. Now, we may have rented out their room while they were gone, and we need to find another place for them. But they're my kids. They can always come home. And I think of my Heavenly Father. You know, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. He's going to take me. The Bible says that I'm kept by the power of God. There's going to be a place for me in heaven. There's going to be a place for you by faith in Jesus Christ. Even when you doubt. Even when you're anxious. Even when you don't know what's going on. Even when you don't understand. There's Jesus saying, look, there is a place. There's a place for you. There's a dwelling place. If it wasn't that way, I would have told you ahead of time. There's a place for you. There's a place. My kids will always have a place at home. Of course, my oldest son is in heaven, so I'm going to be meeting him uh, soon enough. You know, heaven's going to be filled with surprises. There's probably a couple of surprises that, that I can think of when we get to heaven. Because there are times when you don't think you're going to make it. There are times when you're just wondering. So one of the surprises, you're going to be walking through heaven, you know, through the pearly gates, through all the neighborhoods, whatever it's going to be like. You're going to walk through and you're going to see a buddy of yours from high school and you're going to be shocked that she is there. And you're going to go, what are you doing here? You made it. And then the second shock of heaven will be, Wait a minute. Are we in heaven? Because I'm here. I made it. We made it in heaven. And many of us have loved ones that my mom is there, my dad is there, uh, my wonderful son is there. There's going to be a place. By faith in Jesus Christ, there's going to be a place. These are comforting words to troubling hearts. There's going to be a place. You're going to make it. In your hardest time, Jesus is saying, you're going to make it. I'm preparing a place for you. If it wasn't that way, I would have told you. If it was just something that I was making up, if I was just some false Messiah, I mean, I would have told you. You guys would have been all in on it. But that's not the way it is. I'm going and I'm preparing a place for you. And notice in verse 3, and I go, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Wow. Now, what comforting words those are. Every believer in Jesus Christ is expecting and awaiting the soon return of Jesus. He's, we are waiting for him to come back to be received to himself. That where I am, he says, there you may be also. And where I go and the way you know. Jesus is coming again. Hope deferred, the Bible says, makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. Then notice, because Jesus just answered their questions, should settle it for them. They should be in a good place. And then Thomas, in verse 5, said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? Man, Thomas gets a bad rap too, doesn't he? He's known as? Yeah, I don't, I don't agree. Thomas is just one of those guys that dealt with things right in front of him. And he didn't wait for somebody else to ask the question. He just, he just asked it. And he goes, you know what? It really, if you paraphrase this, you go, Jesus, none of us here have any idea what you're talking about. We don't understand the way the last couple hours have gone in our lives. We don't know where you're going, and we don't even know the way. You just said we couldn't find you, but then we're going to find you. And then you just made us, you said it's what you said to the Jews is true. for We don't understand what you're doing. And then Jesus' answer in verse 6, he said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We often use this verse very theological. We use it in a way to establish and assert the clear teaching of the scriptures that there's only one way to salvation there's not two there's not three not all roads lead to God and salvation not all religions are going to save you and when you know you're talking with somebody at work or you're someone at school and they come in and go yeah I was watching Oprah yesterday and and she said and the guest that they had on said that all roads lead to heaven I don't need to really worry about it and what do you do you, you come out and you go, wait, 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 wait. I, I know what's on TV, and I, I know what those guys are saying, and, and I know he even used to be a Christian pastor, but he's not. I, I know, but, but Jesus said this, and what do you do? You take him to John fourteen six I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's powerful. It's clear. Couldn't be clearer there's no one getting to the father where the mansions are where the dwelling places are where eternity is not one person is going to inhabit heaven that hasn't come through the blood of Jesus Christ no one none but do you know the context of Jesus sharing this actually isn't a theological teaching it's truth but he's not teaching them theology here specifically what is he doing? he's comforting them This verse is a verse of comfort. It says, we don't know the way. We don't know where you're going. And Jesus says, look, I'm the way. You've made a good decision. I'm the way. I'm the truth. Following me all these years is the right decision. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm everything. Just like I promised, I'm everything. I am the way. You're in good hands with me. You can trust me. You don't need to be troubled about it. You've made the right decision. These men with real emotions and real fears, I mean, you think about that and you go, man, okay, in your situation today, with all that's going on, as you've learned very hard that good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people, you've learned that. You learned, some of you listening to me, you've learned. You've learned that Christians suffer. You've learned that difficulties arise. You learn that Christians lose their job. You learn that Christians are wrong. You've learned that in this world, you will suffer many tribulations, Jesus said, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. You're waiting for that overcoming work of Jesus, but while you wait, the circumstances are hard and they're difficult. And Jesus comes and says to you, don't let your hearts be troubled. There's a place for you in heaven. You've made the right choice. I am the way. You just follow me. Just follow me, and I am the truth. I haven't lied to you. I'm telling you the truth. I I am life. You've dedicated, you know, these guys left everything to follow Jesus, everything. They left their families, their possessions, their careers, everything, and cast their lot wholly with Jesus, and now they're at a place of confusion, and he's leaving, and what do you mean we can't go with you, and all of that, and Jesus just simply says, look guys, I'm the way and the truth, and the life. No one's going to come to the Father. You've made the right decision. Just trust me. And isn't that the word of the Lord to us? By faith, just trust me. Just trust me. Just trust me.
0: With comforting words to cling to in troubled times, that's Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. What you just heard is part of a mini-series called Jesus' Answer for Troubled Hearts. It's part of our study in John's Gospel. And I'd imagine this hit home for many of you. Hear it again right now at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Even share it with someone you know that's going through a hard time. AboundingGraceRadio.com. Today we want to suggest a book that can help take your prayer life up to the next level. It's E.M. Bounds on Prayer. These reflections on prayer have been treasured for well over a hundred years When you read about the powerful ways God works through prayer, you'll understand why this book has been so well-received. We'll send you a copy of E.M. Bounds on Prayer as our thank you for your donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Just call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's toll-free, 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it through our e-store at calvaryco.store. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition of Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you next time, and may God richly bless you with His Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace.